Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is championed. I am Sharissa Wood, a practicing dental hygienist who wants to share my passion for all things hygiene and the oral systemic connection to help empower, encourage, and equip you listeners. Bulletproof Hygiene's ultimate goal is to bring knowledge and tools that facilitate optimal patient care, healthy team culture, and professional fulfillment. If you are a growth-minded hygienist or dental professional looking to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene, then you're in the right place. Now, let's dive in and become Bulletproof together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bulletproof Hygiene. Happy New Year. I'm excited for 2024 to see what it has in store for us, and I'm excited to have you joining us today. So I feel like January is typically the time of year that we take a look back and reflect on our wins and losses from the previous year and set our sights on setting new goals, breaking bad habits, or starting new healthy ones. And it's a great time to ask ourselves, what's not working and how do I fix it? And I know from personal experience that one of the great struggles can be finding a good work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Being able to give our patients and families give to our patients and family can be both rewarding and draining. And to be very transparent, there are days that I get home from patient care and I feel like I have scraps left for my husband and my kids and nothing left for myself. And this is something I plan to focus on personally and work on this year. With that goal in mind, I'm really, really excited to have Dr. Taryn McCarthy joining us today to have a conversation about this concept because I'd be willing to bet I am not alone. Dr. McCarthy is known as the happiness mindset coach, specifically to women in medicine and dentistry. She is an orthodontist turned transformational speaker, an author featured in the successful spirit and the host of the podcast, the business of happiness. So you guys need to check that out for sure. Dr. McCarthy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sharissa. It's so, I'm so honored to be here. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for this. I'm really grateful to be having this conversation today, honestly, selfishly for myself (laughs) and my own struggles, but also for our listeners, because my primary audience audience are hygienists who spend the day giving, serving, and supporting others around us. And it is such a gift, but if we're not careful, I know, as you know, Mm -hmm. it can start to overwhelm us. And before we know it, we find ourselves burnt out and trying to give out of deficit. And I know that you know where I'm coming from, and I would love for you to share your story and what brought you to developing the and embracing the happiness mindset. Oh, thank you so much, Sharissa. First, let me just say thank you. Thank you to you, first of all, Sharissa, for bringing this topic, because you're right. None of us are alone in feeling stretched so thin and feeling like you're giving, giving, giving to everyone all the time, and there's really nothing left to give. And I'd even venture to say that there's a component of feeling really guilty that we're giving to everybody, but not enough. Like we've spread ourselves so thin that even the people we're giving to, we're not fully authentically showing up for. There's just nothing, not even nothing left for ourselves. It's not even serving the people we're serving in the best way. Right. And I think that that's really how I felt, let's see, about 16 years ago when I felt myself in the same situation, serving others all the time. And 
you know, I want to also take a moment here to honor your listeners because each one of you are in the same boat. We are drawn to this profession of healing. And yes, you are healers because we love to serve. We love to make people feel better. We love to bring our expertise to support you in your dreams, your, your smile, in your health, your overall health, and make a comfortable environment for you so that you can feel safe in a dental office. I mean, these skills we take very personally and we're drawn to taking care of others. And all the mothers and daughters, sisters in your audience, we're drawn to caring for the people around us. And in hygiene, there's an additional component of creating something really special for the team, for the dentist and for the business, for the practice. It's like we're, you're in service everywhere, yeah. in service to your patients, to your team, to your dentist, to, your, to the greater practice, to your own family. And it's so interesting because you know, in a many personal development programs and happiness gurus out there, they say, if you want to find happiness, serve. I don't know if you've heard that before. And I always chuckle a little bit because we are the women who are serving at the expense of our happiness. Yes. There's no one who's listening to this podcast who needs to serve more, <laughs> who needs to do more for other people. They're already giving every ounce of themselves. And that's where I found myself 16 years ago. And I share with you the shame because the shame is what was the first component that I realized I just didn't like myself. I didn't like the body I was in. I didn't like the thoughts I was having. I didn't like the resentment I was beginning to experience for the people I was serving. I didn't like the feeling of not being good enough, like I wasn't doing enough for my children or for myself. I felt like I was constantly behind the eight ball, like nothing was good enough. I kept doing more and more and more and everything felt just a little bit insufficient. Or maybe there'd be one part of my life that I thought, oh, you know what, I'm really proud of my orthodontics or I'm really proud of this, but everything else felt like it just wasn't good enough. And that made me feel not good enough. And so if anyone's listening to this right now, just I want to hold enormous compassion for you because you're not alone. The truth is that every day you are doing incredible things, incredible things, literally putting smiles on children's faces on a daily basis. I mean, is there another profession in the world that can say that? Literally putting smiles on children's faces. And the most important component of finding balance is giving yourself permission to put a smile on your own. I love Meaning, that. Absolutely. It's the most important component. And, you know, when we are so burned out and exhausted, we just cannot be our best selves for others. We right. just can't. It's just not possible. We hear this over and over. You can't pour from an empty cup. Yes. It almost becomes, you know, cliched. We hear this ad nauseum, but taking that responsibility for bringing yourself happiness and fulfillment is the number one priority. And it's not easy. 
it's super simple, but it's not easy. Right. It's not easy to, after decades of taking care of everyone else, suddenly say, okay, it's me time. <laughs> That's really difficult. I'll never forget the first time I changed my schedule because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm working all day long, giving, giving, giving to everyone else. The end of the day, when I'm done with my patients, I rush home and I start giving, giving, giving to my kids. And there's just nothing left for me. And there's no room for replenishment or, you know, refilling that cup. And I set some time, Sharissa, in my schedule. At the end of the day, it was like 4.30. I remember it was 4.30. And I didn't have to be back in the house until 6. So there was an hour and a half time. And I thought, I'm not going to run to the grocery store. I'm not going to try to swing by the pharmacy. I'm not going to squeeze in three phone calls or check my emails. This is me time. I've created this time. I put it in the schedule, hour and a half. My kids don't need me yet. I'm done with my patient care. I put it in my schedule. I was so proud of myself. And I, rem I can see it as clear day. I went, sat in my car, and I burst into tears. Oh, no. Because I literally didn't know what to do. And when people say you need to create some time for yourself, I had no concept of what that looked like. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I, I thought, okay, well, then I can go to um, the laundromat. And I thought, no, 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 that's not me time. And I came back and I thought, okay, this is just for me. Well, I can quickly squeeze in, uh, you know, a workout. I thought, no, that's, that's me trying to create something or get my body to look a certain way. What is just for me? What do I want in this moment? And I could not even imagine what that would be. So honoring your incredible audience that sometimes even self-care feels like another thing to do. Feels like, oh my gosh, now I've got to, I've got to incorporate self-care. So my story is a journey of, I'm going to say unbecoming. I had to unbecome all those rules and shoulds and stories of what it looked like to be an orthodontist, and I'm using air quotes, a leader, a mother, and start rewriting the story of me. But it required a first very clear unbecoming and letting go of those old stories of what I should be doing in every moment of every day, what I should be thinking, and really understanding what success and happiness look like to me. Because I realized I was living someone else's definition of success. I thought, this is the way it should look like. This is what other people seem really happy and in service to others. This is what they're doing. They're seeing X number of patients a day. They're working X number of hours a day. They're doing this for their children and showing up to all the parent-teacher conferences and doing all the sports at the end of the day. That's what I should be doing. But it took a really close look and conversation with myself to understand actually what does happiness look like to me? And one thing you said that that hit me and I think is honestly part of the process when when you are coming through this metamorphosis mm -hmm. is addressing that feeling of shame, right? So big. Yeah. So how did how did you overcome that aspect? 
You know what's really interesting about shame, and Brene Brown, of course, the shame researcher, says it so beautifully, is that shame cannot live when spoken. So when we share how we feel, it immediately takes a little bit of the sting out of it. See, the thing about shame is we usually hide in it. We have the thought, I'm not good enough. And then, of course, we don't tell our patients that. There's a certain amount of confidence they need to have in us. We're not going to tell our patients that. We need to create safety for them, right? We're not going to tell our team. We need our team to have a certain amount of confidence in us in order to follow our lead, especially as hygienists. That's a very important role on the team. We're not going to tell the dentist or our boss because God's sakes, that we need them to have confidence in us too. So suddenly that shame component, whatever that is, I'm not good enough. It's not possible for me. People aren't going to love me or appreciate me if I do this. Whatever that shame component, that limiting belief is, the moment we expose it, we take out a little bit of the sting. It's kind of like the monster under the bed. You know, that monster is under there. We're hiding it from everybody. But if we dare to just take a peek under the bed, we see that actually it has no form. Actually, it isn't true. And so sometimes what we need is a reflection from someone else. This is, of course, why coaches and therapists are so fabulous. But even just allowing yourself to be aware of the emotion is critical. And now we're stepping into a very big component of happiness and balance, and that is feeling our feelings. Because if we can't, we, there's not a way to feel happy and empowered and grateful if we're constantly stuffing down the uncomfortable emotions, the, the emotions of fear, the emotions of anger, the emotions of resentment. We have to allow ourselves to feel those feelings. Otherwise, we can't feel the good feelings. We don't, get, we don't get one without the other. We are human beings and we get to feel them all. Once again, not something they taught us in hygiene school and dental school. We were taught to leave our emotions at the door, right? And we were taught, and of course, we have to create a room of safety for our patients. We're not going to have an emotional outburst in front of our patients then where are you creating room for that in your world? It's a critical component of self-care is feeling your feelings. So that patient that triggers you in the morning, that team member that triggers you and creates some anger and resentment, if you're stuffing it down constantly and not giving yourself space and time to feel your feelings, you're going to create a balloon that just keeps filling and filling and filling that's ready to pop. Not just that, you're not allowing yourself to feel the really elevated emotions either. The enjoyment, the joy, the pride, the gratitude. And that's where we start to feel the shame building and building on itself. Because, oh my gosh, I'm, here I have all these great things all around me and I can't even feel happiness. I just got a promotion. I just got a new job opportunity. My kids are doing really great and I'm still feeling miserable. That's where I found myself, Sharissa, is one day I woke up and I had the big house. I had the fancy car. I had the fancy dogs and the happy kids. I had everything that I had dreamed and I was miserable. 
I was scared and I was miserable. And on top of that misery was shame. Who am I to have all this abundance around me when there's so many people hurting in this world to have finally achieved my dreams and I'm unhappy? What's wrong with me that I can't even feel happiness in this? And it wasn't that I didn't have access to happiness. It's that I didn't know how. I didn't have the practice of it. So for our listeners today that are resonating with what you're saying, um, you know, one of their goals for this year could be, hey, I'm trying to find, I, you know, I said for myself, I want to find a better work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I know that's what you were after as well. And really delving into what that should look like for us individually, because there's not a cookie cutter approach to that. And it doesn't look the same, I think, for any of us. No. Is the, I guess the question is, is a work-life balance obtainable? And if so, what what are the steps to make that happen? That's a great question. That's the big question, right? That's the question we're all after. And it's so interesting because I think the word work-life balance really messes us up because we think there's got to be a scale, right? I've got to put this much effort in here and I've got to put this much and then somewhere there's going to be a balance. And really, I like to talk about it more as a work-life blend. We're blending the two. Still, the most important component has to be you. And this is where all of our old programming comes in because then suddenly we start feeling like, oh, this is selfish. If I'm making myself a priority, that feels really selfish. But here is the key. When you feel good, you can do good. That's it. That's it. If you take nothing else from this this whole conversation, when you feel good, you can actually do good things. We, we think we have to punish ourselves and discipline ourselves. And that's what a lot of people like to say, you know, like, oh, you got to get on a very strict schedule. And, and guess what? That works. It works to be on a strict schedule. It works to have discipline. It works to have, you know, keep yourself in check to a point. It works to a point. Of course, all of us have evidence in our lives of building success. But if you've chased yourself with a stick to do it, there will be a breaking point. There will. You'll have success. You will create accomplishments if you've punished yourself and pushed yourself and punished yourself and pushed yourself. It'll work, but there will be a breaking point. Turns out the exact opposite is so much more abundant in terms of success and happiness. When you create as a priority the way you feel, good things happen. So, for example, I want you to think back to a day where you had this like brilliant idea, just like super inspiration. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's how I should be approaching something with my son. Or that's how it can work better in the office. Or, oh my gosh, I just had this beautiful realization of harmony between the body and the oral cavity and how people take care of one of themselves. Those moments of clarity, where do they happen? They happen in the shower on the mountaintop, on your long run, on a hike, in these moments where we're feeding and fueling our bodies and feeling good. It's the moments where we make the little mistakes, where we snap at our kid, where we snap at our husband the minute we walk in the house, where we 
maybe say something a little bit snarky to a team member, or we run a team meeting in a way that's a little bit edgy, those are when actually we haven't taken care of ourselves, where we haven't prioritized ourselves and the way we feel. It turns out when you feel good, you make good choices in your actions. And one of the biggest components of what we do in dentistry is we are not aware of the amount of stress we're under. So I love to tell this fable of the two fish. So there are these two fish swimming along and as they're swimming, having a good day, an older fish swims towards them. And the older fish turns to them and says, hey boys, how's the water? And they keep swimming. A little way down the road or down the stream, the one fish turns to the other and he says, what was up with that guy? And the other one says, yeah, what's water anyway? We're swimming in water of stress. And it's become such a cultural norm in dentistry that we aren't even aware of it. And one of the easiest ways to be aware of it is when you realize you have forgotten about your body. We're living from our neck up. So have any, if you've, I don't know if this has happened to you, Sharissa, but you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to burst. I need to pee so bad. Like, I, I can't even believe I didn't notice all day long I needed to pee and now I'm about to burst. Yep. Right. Or, because, oh, I have not touched my water all day. All day. Didn't even notice. Or we stand in front of the pantry when we get home and we just like start shoving food in our mouths and we're like, oh my God, I'm not even in my body right now. I'm just trying to eat because I haven't eaten all day and now I'm not even aware of what I'm eating. The same is true for stress. We, our profession is enormously stressful and there are some incredible ways to mitigate our stress. But no wonder we have fears like treatment plan proposals because we're in a place of fight or flight. So when you're in a place of fight or flight, you're not thinking clearly. Your brain is saying, there's a tiger chasing you find the closest tree and climb it. It's not saying, let's calm your body to be present with your patient and really hear her needs. It's not saying, let's be really present with this bedtime story and just relax into it and remind ourselves that nothing matters and there is no urgency. And if we take an extra 10 minutes, it's not going to be the end of the world. There's your brain is doing exactly what it wants, what it needs to do. And that is to help you survive. But when we're in a place of fight or flight, we are not in a place of thriving or blending. And that work-life balance is impossible. So when you say, is work-life balance possible? The blending of it is if we have awareness, like those, unlike those two fish in the water, of the amount of stress our bodies are in. And it's a purely biological thing. What happens is we cut ourselves off from our executive functions. That's it. That's what happens. Fight or flight means you do not have access to creativity, to flexibility, to task initiation, to time management, to self-compassion. You don't have access because the tiger is chasing you and you've got to climb the tree. That's it. 
So our bodies are so brilliant and our minds are so brilliant and they're doing exactly what they need to do to keep us alive. But when we start to become aware of what's actually happening in our bodies, now we can start making good choices. And the cheat code to it is feeling good. So when you know, oh my gosh, I am feeling really stressed. I'm wearing my shoulders like earrings. My heart rate is really fast. I'm taking short breaths. I'm not paying attention to my body that I need to pee. Bing, 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 you're in stress. And there's some really key things we can learn to walk ourselves back to calm, some daily practices we can do that work really well to do what I call flexing your vagal tone, which is just going from sympathetic nervous system stress to parasympathetic nervous system calm. And it's an absolute game changer. So when I'm telling you that story of sitting in my car, crying my eyes out because I don't know how what to do with myself, I was in stress mode. One of the components of fight or flight is blank brain, when we just can't think. We just can't think like, you know, when you sit down, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about, I'm sitting down and I don't even know where to start. Sometimes it's our finances, right? We finally create the time, my new year's resolution. I'm going to manage my finances. I'm going to be responsible with it. And we sit down, we go, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. I can't even think. I can't even remember what's my password. I can't remember. And we start to think, is this early onset Alzheimer's? Do I have ADHD? No, you might just be super stressed. And if you're in the dental world, I'm telling you, it is almost a guarantee. One of the interesting things about how we turn on sympathetic nervous system stress is by looking at really small things close up. (laughs) Surprise! Myopic vision turns on sympathetic nervous system. Interesting. Think about the last time you were standing on a mountaintop or at a beach and looking at a beautiful view far away. What's the first thing you did? Take a deep breath. (sighs) Right? Yeah. Your parasympathetic nervous system turned on. So that's one way we can use our bodies to go from stress to calm. But if we're in this space right up close, in someone's mouth, through our loops, looking at our phones during our lunch breaks, then you're constantly turning on the sympathetic nervous system stress, there's no way our bodies can get to calm. Now here's what some of us do. We use alcohol, food, Netflix, you know, anything that's changing our state to try and get us out of that sympathetic nervous system storm. But the really exciting news is that we are so much more powerful than that. And we can choose a new choice that does not cause collateral damage. And I say this from complete transparency, because that's what I did. I found myself drinking every single night, just because I didn't have an idea of how to bring my nervous system back to calm. And that was another component of my shame is that I was the queen of having two martinis after a full day of work and then being at the gym at 4.30 in the morning to sweat it off and then being with my patients at 8 a.m. 
And that felt broken and was tearing me down. And no wonder I look back at it now. I'm like, yeah, no wonder I was burning myself to the ground. That was exhausting. Learning and understanding our bodies is another component of finding that ever elusive balance because the positive affirmations and the mindset is so critical, but it's not the whole story. Yes. I love this. And I, I'm, I'm all in, I want to hear all of your tips for doing this because as you were speaking, I was thinking, and this is just, all of our listeners can resonate this with this. You've got your, you know, your hygiene patient in the chair and you're running late and you know, your next patient is already here, but that patient has a treatment plan that you need to review with them and schedule. And like you're saying in that fight or flight, like you can't even think clearly to explain to them, to think about having the time to schedule, to, to really be present. And all you're doing is sweating, thinking my next patient's waiting and I got to get my room turned over. So I'm all in for hearing these suggestions because I think all of us are in this hamster wheel together. Um, of in those moments where you're just feel pinned to the wall, what are some things that we can do to to stop and stop the process of the fight or flight and be present and do what needs to happen? Yeah, great question. There's some really key in the moment things, and then there's some prophylactic things, just okay. like brushing our teeth. Yeah. Just like profies. We got to go every six months in order to prevent, right? But if you get some food caught in your teeth, you have floss. Right, so we have both. We have the prophylactic support of your nervous system and then the in the moment support of your nervous system. So ways to increase that vagal tone. So by the way, vagal tone just means how quickly we can go from stress to calm. Okay. That's all that vagal tone means. And so when I say increasing your vagal tone, I mean how quickly you can shorten that refractory period. So uh, someone on my team gave her two week notice. I go into immediate stress stress state because, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now to fill that slot or that team member's gone? I don't know anybody in your, in your, who's listening, who can identify with that, you know, the stress of losing someone on your team, you immediately go to fight or flight. Now it's suddenly like a part of your day, then you don't sleep well, then it's over the next few days and it ruins your month. How can we get that to, it's always going to be a, a little quick stress back to just 20 minutes. 30 seconds. That's vagal tone, okay. right? That, that's, that's how to, we're always going to have moments that we get stress, but how to get back to calm. Okay. So on the regular, instituting calm on a daily basis. That's that person responsibility. That's that blending. That's that balancing we're talking about. So what does that look like? Exercise, stretching, meditation, even dancing, all of those, but literally making time for it every single day. Because we feel good when we dance. We feel good when we exercise. We feel good when we go for a walk. We feel good when we stand outside and look at a vista. So when I mentioned to you that mountaintop, vista vision, that's what I call it, is something that turns on parasympathetic nervous system. So if you have the opportunity to step outside and look at a field or go to the beach, do that more. That's turning on your parasympathetic nervous system. Give yourself more breaks, but not on a phone, right? Give yourself 
walk, going for a walk at lunch every single day, actually taking a lunch break instead of sitting and doing your emails. Like these are the prophylactic things we can be doing, putting the work away on the weekend and not doing more work on the weekend. So allowing our bodies to get really comfortable with going back to calm. So when you're sitting at that uh, river, riverbed and you're like, or sitting in front of your fireplace and you sit there and you think, I should really get up and do the dishes, giving yourself permission to sit another minute longer because you're working on your vagal tone. Actually giving yourself permission to maybe leave the dishes in the sink. Ugh, God forbid. Right? And just be calm that night. But once again, when you feel good, you can do good. So reminding yourself, I think we have such an entrenched story that when you feel good, you're doing something wrong. Oh, this feels really good. Just lying in bed an extra 10 minutes. We're like, no, no, we should be getting up and exercising or whatever that next thing is. But if you're feeling good, not on a cell phone, but feeling really good, relaxing, allowing your body to get comfortable with calm. Okay, so that's more the, and there's so many other ones, so many. The my biggest one that I have has changed my life is meditation. For me, it's a non-negotiable on a daily basis. I get up in the morning, it's the first thing I do because it tells my body how to calm. Did it work the first time I did meditation? No, it's one of those things that takes time to learn and to practice like anything else. Let's go back to your example of in the moment. In the moment, I'm behind on this patient. She's talking too much. I've got to create a treatment plan for the next patient. She's sitting, the thing is flashing on my computer screen. And I'm suddenly, unlike those two fish, I'm beginning to get more in touch with my body and I'm noticing, ooh, I'm suddenly stressed, right? I'm feeling the panic. What can we do? Turns out your vagus nerve, which is a part of your parasympathetic nervous system, is attached to your lungs. And that is why breathing calms us down. So breathing, breath work, if anybody's heard of breath work, oh, is, yeah, yeah and, and this is great for our patients. Cherie said this work is so good because it helps us keep our patients returning to calm as well. Yes. So, I actually have this conversation with a lot of my patients because I know when they get anxious, they hold their breath and I'll say, I'll check in. Are you breathing right now? And they'll laugh and go, no, I wasn't. I'm like, I know, take some breaths because you can psych your brain out. When you hold your breath, all of a sudden you think that you're drowning and everything's fight or flight. But if you'll slowly intentionally take good deep breaths in and out, it triggers that, that sympathetic. Beautiful. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So we can do that for ourselves, even with the mask on, even while we're working with a patient, even while we're listening to a patient talk. So the key to turning on parasympathetic nervous system with breath is fully inhaling through with from your belly, holding it, and then slowing down the exhale. So if you can slow down the exhale longer than the inhale, now you're turning on parasympathetic nervous system. So one thing that I love to do with patients and that I do for myself is visualize, it's called flagpole breathing. Imagine the flag traveling up the pole as you're breathing in. So your audience can do it with me right now. Let's do, take an inhale through your nose, watch that flag climb up the pole. Now hold it as you watch it wave in the wind, hold it, hold it. 
and slowly exhale and see if you can slow the exhale as the flag goes back down the pole. Slow, 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 slow. Let's take one more. Deep breath in through your nose. Flag goes up the pole. Watch the flag go up. Watch it, watch it. Let it just wave in the wind as you're holding. And slowly, slowly, slowly exhale. I find that we have to do three to five rounds of it, but you'll notice your body calm. We don't always notice the stress, but we do notice the opposite when we feel the calm. You can even do it while looking at a radiograph on the computer screen. Literally you while you're scaling teeth. You could do it at any, it's the most magical, yes. magical, magical way to drop back into calm. But it does take, Sharissa, awareness. Yes. Those two fish swimming in the water, completely unaware. So believe it or not, work-life blending starts with awareness. That's where it starts. It starts with being aware of how am I feeling right now? And how can we bring my body back to calm? And if I need a break to cry or scream or run around the block or get a little break out of the office, ask, because that's a part of work-life blending. If we're stuffing down our emotions all the time, you're throwing off that blending. It doesn't just look like eight hours of work, eight hours at home, eight hours for myself. No, that's not how it works. It looks like awareness in our bodies of our emotions, and of our nervous system. So I'm gonna share with you one more and I have so many and, and people are welcome to follow me at thebizofhappiness.com and I'm so happy to share with you some other ways to calm your nervous system. But here's an interesting one. Your vagus nerve is also attached to the base of your tongue. So one way to calm your nervous system is tongue circles. Who knew? So literally using your tongue and allowing your tongue to travel around the vestibule in your mouth one direction three times and then in the other, you're doing it perfectly. I'm watching you, Sharissa, so I'm gonna do it too. Going three times in one direction and then three times in the other. And while you're doing it, breathe. And you can almost, Slowly imagine your body calming. Another thing we can do behind a mask, our patients don't even know, or in the middle of a meeting, a team meeting, you know, while literally concentrating on calming your nervous system, using your body, asking your body to walk back the stress hormones to a place of calm. And then suddenly we can access those executive functions of time. One of them I said was time management and time assessment. When you're in that place of, oh my gosh, she's taking so long and the next patient's here, time seems to speed up. We suddenly feel the urgency of time and we lose perspective and flexibility. So nothing needs to change other than your own calming of your body. Then the positive affirmations of, Oh, there is no urgency. I am time. I am safe. I can remember that my highest value is being present with this patient. Now the positive affirmations can land because our body's in a place of calm. When you're running from a tiger, 
your body won't even believe those affirmations. It won't even remember my why, you know, why are you even doing this so that I can serve my patients and give them better health. And I love who I am when I'm, none of that matters when you're running from a tiger. Right. So being clear and aware in your body is one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves and our patients and our children and our husbands and our wives. Suddenly the definition of success becomes the number of hours I spend in the day feeling the way I want to feel. How can I get to that place? What allows me to feel really good in my body? Because when I feel really good in my body, I just love this patient in front of me. I love scaling these teeth, that feeling of the calculus releasing. I can only be present with that incredible feeling of creating a treatment plan that's really serving this beautiful human when I feel good about myself. But if I'm stressing about the next thing, I'm missing the beauty of my excellence, my expertise, my personality that is so beautiful that my patients connect to. I love this. And I feel like this has been really helpful for me personally, um, because I really embrace and understand the concept of mindset. And I'm good at that. Um, and I play this game with myself. Oftentimes when I leave the office and I'm getting in the car, I think, what is the the coolest thing I got to do today? Who did I yeah. connect with? What was the best thing? What was that moment? And it's always interesting to me because most of the time it doesn't even necessarily have to do with hygiene. It's just how I connected with another human and what we yes. were able to talk about or, or you know, change. Um, but I don't always think about getting myself in that parasymp- parasympathetic place. So this has been super helpful and I am definitely going to start blending those two things of bringing the pos- the positive affirmations and the joys and, and what I got to enjoy, but also doing it in a place where I can actually feel it. I, this has been super helpful for me. Amazing. Yes. I'm so, I'm so excited for you because yeah, you are so good at that mindset component. That is something you really excel at. Now being able to allow your body to receive it is going to just take it to the next level. Yeah. And I'm definitely a stuffer. Like I, in the middle of the day when it's crazy, like I think, okay, like I can compartmentalize things really well to keep Mm -hmm. the day going. And I just want to make this point because I know we're talking to hygienists that are part of teams, obviously, is this is where to really rely on your team because the reality is, like I said, you you said it perfectly when you can get yourself into that parasympathetic, okay, yes, I know there's another patient waiting, but I'm going to be really present with this patient and, and meet their needs. But the reality is there is that other patient sitting in the waiting room and we're now cutting into that opportunity. That's when I think we as a team can say, hey, I've got to finish this treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Can someone help me with turning over that room or seating that na- next patient? That's where it's so helpful to have a good, solid team around you so that you have that support that you need. Oh, that's so good, Charissa. Yes, we do not live in a silo. And we are, our teams are so critical to us, not just in the practice, but in our lives. So asking for that help and support from your sister, from your neighbor, 100%. And what you just identified was that executive function of thinking creatively. And you can only do that when you're in a space of calm, right? Yes. That like, we, we do, we have a whole 
village of support right in our practice, right in our office. Yep. But if you're in a place of fight or flight, you don't even see them. You don't even think, oh, I could have asked Sarah. I could have asked Susan. I could have. So being able to access that and remember that is so key when we allow ourselves to calm down. And sometimes it's tricky, right? And sometimes that takes some practice, takes some practice to learn how does my body calm? Because your nervous system is very different from mine. So when I say meditation, for me, that works, maybe not for you. When I say going for a run works for me, maybe yoga works better for you or dancing or laughing or just sitting out in the sun. So our nervous systems are very, very different and unique. But the exciting thing is we get to learn what feels good. There's no more fun than having a practice of discovering what feels good. You just need to give yourself permission. And the permission lies in that when you feel good, you will do good. You will be a better hygienist. You will be a better mom. Just having that permission of we don't chase ourselves with a stick to do better. It's the opposite. And we've seen that with our patients. When you praise your patient, you're like, oh my gosh, your hygiene looks so much better. Guess what? Next time, their hygiene is going to be even better. But when we threaten them and say, oh, you know, that 14-year-old, I'm coming from the ortho world. You know, I remember one orthodontist I used to work with, he used to say, who's going to kiss you if you have such bad breath? Because, you know, the threats don't work. Right. It's the encouragement. It's the praise. It's the celebration. That's what works for our patients, for our children, for our loved ones. When you say to your husband, wow. Thank you so much for putting the dishes in the dishwasher. That makes such a big difference in my day, as opposed to beating him up and saying, you know, why didn't you do the dishes again? That, that support and self-praise we get to give ourselves. And it is the way to do better. And I think you said something very important. I was thinking when you said, you know, give ourselves permission. Um, there's one other piece I want to touch on here because I think for a lot of us, I, you know, I feel like women in dentistry definitely tend to be more A-type and we want to check all the boxes, dot all the I's, cross all the T's. A lot of us have a hard time asking for help mm -hmm. because that feels like I couldn't do it on my own and I wasn't good enough. So I think it's giving yourself that permission to say to someone else, whether it's team, whether it's family, hey, I need help. I need support because living on an island alone is no fun. We want those relationships. We want those people around us. But for some reason in our heads, we think, oh, no, I can't ask anyone for help. Then I look weak. Then I don't look like I'm enough. But on the contrary, that's where our body's going to find that peace that it needs is to have people come around and help us. And this is the beauty of divine feminine power. Because what we've been living in is a very masculine world, a very masculine definition of success and achievement. And the way that that used to look is demand, force, push, yell, hyper-independence. That's a very masculine thing. Women, the feminine perspective, we have this beautiful, beautiful, natural gift of loving and supporting each other. And we feel so good when we do it for others. That's such a beautiful feminine gift. That's why we do well in teams. If we lean into it, 
Now, every one of us has a masculine and a feminine component. And so many of us very successful, intelligent, high achieving women got there from a hyper independent standpoint, maybe in your world, nobody really supported you. So you had to become that woman, right? Maybe you came from a background where you had to stand on your own two feet. And that's how you were raised. It's like you're, I'm going to make sure you don't rely on anybody else. You know, our mothers were very cool. So many of them, they're like, well, you're not going to rely on another man. You're not going to rely on, we're going to make sure you provide for yourself. And that hyper-independence gets us a certain amount of success until we break down. And the exciting thing is then we get to incorporate this beautiful gift that is so natural within each one of us, which is the feminine, which is receivership, asking for help and receiving it. When you say, please, can you help me with this? And then allowing them to do it. That's, that's the second component, asking for help, but then allowing. Mom, please, can you help me with the kids? And then letting her. Or asking your husband for some support and then letting him or the team. How many times we're just like, you know what? I'll just do it. I'll just do it. It, it gets done better when I do it myself anyway. It's, <laughs> you know, that component yes. of hyper-independence? Yes. yes. There's such a magical moment of greater empowerment, greater happiness, greater success, and the world around you gets better and the people around you get stronger when you allow yourself to receive, receive support, ask for support and receive, receive support. And it takes calming your nervous system. We all know that if we're super tight and stressed, I can't receive anything, right? If we're, if just think physically, when your muscles are tight and tense, there's no receiving anything. It takes allowing and letting go, right? In this tense stress pace, space, we feel like we need to control the outcome. If I ask you to make dinner for me, it's gotta look this way, it's gotta look that way, it's gotta have this, it's gotta be this way, it's gotta be delivered at this time, you've gotta make sure the kids, right? We create so many rules but there's a beautiful practice of asking for help and then receiving it and not micromanaging every component of it. That is a very brilliant leadership skill, not only in your family, but in a team. When we ask our team members, hey, could you take the inventory? I think you'd be really good at it. And then allowing her to learn, to fumble, to make mistakes and not stepping in and micromanaging every component of it. Because especially as independent, hyper, high achieving, capable women, we are so capable. You can do it all. You really can. But do you want to? Does that really feel good at the end of the day? Yeah. How much better would it feel if we can empower one another, raise each other up, support one another, receive a little from you. I give a little from me. And now we actually grow something that feels really good and feels like that work-life blending. Yes. I love this so much. This has been so, so helpful. Um, I have, I have one last question that I have to ask just because you are known as the happiness mindset coach. Tell me your definition of happiness. Oh, my definition. I love this question. Thank you for asking it, Sharisa, because we each have a different definition. 
and it changes throughout our lives. And giving ourselves that permission is huge, by the way, to have evolving permission over time. Right now, my definition of happiness is peace. It is. It's when I just feel peace. I love serving the people I serve. I love my family deeply. I love what I do and who I be. But happiness for me is only achieved when I find that place of complete peace, whether it's peace with the salmon I'm eating for dinner, that can be such a happy place, or peace with my team in conversation with them, or a dentist I'm coaching, just in a peaceful, present place, I'm in exquisite happiness, or peace on the treadmill. When I'm in peace, that for me is happiness. Nice, nice. I concur with that definition. I uh, I frequently do coffee in the hot tub at sunrise by myself, and that is my magic place. So, <laughs> oh, I love that magic place. Yes, yes, yes. So I am so appreciative and grateful for your time with us. I have no doubt that our listeners are like, oh my gosh, this was so good. I want to hear more. So the good news is Dr. McCarthy has a podcast called The Business of Happiness, Um, she's also got a publication in the successful spirit. So there's definitely some places to find her, but tell us where's the best place to find you. You you've said it on the podcast is great. Uh, you can also find me online at the biz of happiness.com or on Facebook or, or, um, Instagram and the business of happiness. And yes, the business of happiness podcast has, millions of episodes focused solely on this, how to find happiness and calm and work-life blending in dentistry. Awesome. Well, you have been a gift to me today personally, so I'm so grateful for that. I'm going to start practicing some of these uh, exercises ASAP. And I hope my listeners are going to do the same. So for those of you who are listening, if you have not yet joined our Mighty Network, Super easy. It's a free app. Just download Mighty Network, search Bulletproof Hygiene, and come join us. We are a community of hygienists that are supporting each other, answering questions, sharing wins, asking for help with losses. That's what it's all about. So if you haven't joined that yet, please do so for the new year. Thank you all for your um, listening and joining us today. And we will see you next time on the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking your valuable time to invest in yourself and listen to this episode. I hope it's been thought-provoking, empowering, and stirred your curiosity. If you've enjoyed this content, please click the subscribe button to catch new episodes or share this episode with your colleagues. To keep track of upcoming Bulletproof events and opportunities, visit bulletproofhygiene.com or better yet, join the Mighty Network Bulletproof Hygiene community to connect with like-minded dental professionals that share ideas, struggles, and wins. Have a great week, everybody.